welcome to it, everybody. This is Wired In. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Blake Johnson, alongside my co-host, as always, Spencer Coles. Spencer, how's it going? Hello, hello. I'm doing all right. How's uh, things going in your neck of the woods? Things are going pretty well. Going pretty well, indeed. Can't complain. It's getting closer to winter time here, so it gets a little closer to winter faster in North Dakota than it does typically in <laughs> Missouri and yeah. Arkansas, so... Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So working on that, getting ready for that. But all in all, can't complain. But how how have things been in your neck of the woods? Yeah, um, they've been pretty good. I, I mean, going going about weather, it's uh, it actually just now started getting cool around. That's now like about like fifties to sixties. Because for the past couple of months, it's been like in the seventies and eighties. I'm like, yo, when is it gonna actually <laughs> like cool down? But, uh, but yeah, no, everything's been, uh, you know, not, not, nothing too crazy for the most part, which is, uh, you know, good in my book. Yeah, definitely. Well, we got a lot to talk about today. We, of course, watched the vice president debate, vice presidential debate between Mike Pence Mm -hmm. and Kamala Harris. So we will touch up on that later on in the show. We thought we'd mix it up a little bit today because last time we immediately started with the presidential debate, but we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and save that for later and kind of make you anticipate greatness later on in the show. So stick around as we will absolutely dive into that. There's several other big things to talk about, though, that I've I've really been wanting to get into and to hear your perspective on. We want to talk about the uh, COVID situation with President Trump being admitted to Walter Reed since our, our last show and then his recovery from that along with the the debate that's supposed to happen next week but we'll see if it if it actually does so we'll we'll talk about that as well but i i really wanted to start off before we actually get into the the meat of the program as always wanted to remind you all that if you want to listen to our podcast you most certainly can in several places you can listen to it I, i've noticed that spotify right now is the primary pay, place that people are listening to us from which is a pretty good. It's a pretty good app to use for podcasts. I've actually enjoyed it myself. For uh, they've certainly improved it. Uh, yeah. I remember like back when they were originally like kind of starting up the whole like podcast feature of Spotify. It was like very rudimentary. It was very basic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I mean, I I tend to use it. I tend to use that and Apple Podcasts as my primary. I kind of switch back and forth just depending on my mood, but. Yeah, you can certainly listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us on Anchor, which is our basically what I like to call our home base for the podcast, where you know we primarily post it, and then it sends it out to all the other platforms that you can listen to. You can listen to us on Google Podcasts. You can listen to us on Breaker, Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast is another one that I've kind of tested out before. It's it's all right, not my favorite, but it's. You know, it's it's not bad. You can listen to us there as well. Trying to get us on Stitcher and Castbox, and hopefully Apple Podcasts will add us here pretty soon. But several different ways you can listen to us, and depending on what platform you're listening to us on, be sure to give us a review and a five star rating, if you will, and definitely make sure you promote the podcast. That's how our numbers grow, and we'd really appreciate it if you tell your friends and family about it if they like to listen to podcasts. So we have seen our numbers grow. I, I have almost every other day I'll, I'll check and I'll see our numbers grow from the previous time. And, and so it's 
kind of kind of encouraging to know that there's at least somebody out there listening to us. So we Somewhere do out in the ether. We do appreciate that. So with that out of the way, let's dive into it. This story I've I've found pretty pretty hilarious, but it's also kind of irritating. Um, so I didn't actually watch the game, which is a little surprising. You might you might wonder, considering that one of the teams is the team that I've rooted for for a while. But the Sunday night football game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers last weekend, it it started to trend on Twitter, but it wasn't for the game itself per se. It was for the commentators, uh, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels. They, I guess, they were told that they needed to wear masks during the entire game, which is, you know, typical game is like three, three and a half hours. And they had to wear it the entire time. And what's kind of kind of interesting is, you know, it's it's basically just them, you know, and it's it's just they're not necessarily around other crew or, or staff or anything like that. It's just it's primarily them. So you would think it'd be pretty easy for them to space out and they had everyone tested and and such, but they still wanted them to wear masks. And I just, I thought the reactions from, from them about having to wear the masks were, were kind of, uh, kind of, uh, comical. So basically what happened was, um, throughout the entire game, the two commentators got in jabs at having to wear masks and complained about the situation. At one point, one of them said, um, let's see. Let's see, one of them, I think Michael said, Santa Clara County officials have compelled us to wear masks during the game, and so that's the story. I'm Al Michaels, and you are. And Collinsworth says, I don't know who I am. <laughs> they both had masks on the whole time. And uh, throughout the game, they were commenting on it, and then at one point, Collinsworth complained that his ears were hurting because of the straps from the mask. Yep. And Michael said, we're good boys, though. We're going to get lollipops at the end of the game tonight. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then one last reference was made before signing off for the night. And uh, I think this was also from Michael. He said, we're going to get rid of these things as soon as we possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll see if they are forced to do that in the future. But I just thought it was kind of, I don't know, kind of silly to have to do that, especially if they've if they'd been screened and everything before the game. And again, since it's not like they're around a bunch of people comment commentating the whole time. I don't know. What do you think Spencer? Well, it's, it's kind of weird to me that, um, cause I don't think there's like a ton of crew members that are typically around them whenever they're commentating. It's usually just them. And then there's like a dedicated, again, this is just from my own personal experience of doing like sports broadcasting and stuff like that. Um, there's like a dedicated control room and like, crew room that's basically like monitoring everything so they're like no one is really i guess like in an insane close proximity to them so if it's just the both of them like i don't understand why the hell you would need to have like masks especially if they're like an enclosed booth too and to my understanding they're not doing like in-person attendance for nfl games i don't i don't think i know I know there's limited um, seating and stuff for like college games, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're allowing like any in-person attendance for any of the NFL games right now. So, yeah. 
Well, the game was held, I believe, in California, and so this wasn't this wasn't a decision by NBC to do this. This was mm, okay. a this was a decision by the Santa Clara County in California. Oh, California. Yeah, so that makes it a little less surprising that this happened because, you know, it it was basically them, and I mean, it's it's just kind of kind of ridiculous, but kind of the reason i brought this up too especially as it relates to california i don't know if you've i don't know if you've seen this spencer but so the uh <laughs> the i think it's the office of the governor of california their twitter account put out a tweet the other day in california saying hey guys are you are you planning to head out this weekend to eat with your friends and family well don't forget to put your mask back on in between in between bites in between bites yeah are you kidding me so literally what they want you to do is you go into a restaurant you sit down you start eating your food you have a mask on before you start eating and then you'll take it off to take a bite and then as soon as you eat a piece of food you have to put the mask back on like once I'm finished with that bite, I'm just gonna. <laughs> Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful? I wish we lived in California, don't you? <laughs> no, I don't at all. I'm quite all right. Like after just hearing all of the the regulation bullshit and stuff that's been going on there, and the wildfires, I'm just like, nah, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like I. I have no, like, because like, I had been kind of mildly curious to go out and, like, visit California, but, like, now I'm just, like, after hearing how much of a shithole it is, I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I am, too. And the great part of this thing is, is, so the tweet, for those of you who aren't as familiar or don't really use Twitter, there's this thing called ratio, and it's basically if you get far mm-hmm. more comments than you do likes, and then it typically means that people are ticked off at you. So this tweet that I just talked about got ratioed hardcore. It has, as of right now that I'm looking at it, about 800 likes and almost 10,000 comments. So a few people just mocking it up and down, left and right, and I, I just thought it was great. But yeah, I mean, if... Between bites. I just... I can't get over... I, it's like... The, the, the practicality of that, it's like... What what good is that going to do? I mean, if you're if you're taking your mask off or like slipping it down so that you can eat, you're still spreading like path like pathogens and stuff into the air whenever you're doing that. It's like you don't just breathe through your mouth like so yeah, I don't understand the point of that. Well, yeah, and you got to think too that this will this will likely encourage people to just stay at home even longer than go out to eat. If that's the mandate, then why would you want to go out and eat at a restaurant if you have to do that? And they, I mean, well, they, and the thing I the thing I don't understand too is uh, here in Arkansas, um, you you can absolutely go out to like restaurants and stuff, no issue. Um, but you have to have a mask whenever you first enter. But when you sit down, you can take off the mask. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like. What what's the point of that? <laughs> like, I know. If I'm just gonna be taking off the mask anyway, like what? Yeah, yeah, it's it's silly. I really don't understand it. I guess I guess my uh, home state of Missouri just extended their 
well, not not the state of Missouri, but Springfield specifically in Missouri, just extended their mask mandate into next year, like early January. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's going to get uh, you know, that's going to get pushed into at least through the spring when they come back to that decision again. And, you know, I remember I remember leading up to when they first passed the, the mandate in Springfield, you know, there was a lot of people against it. There was, you know, there was plenty of people in support of it, too, but there was a lot of people against it. And basically the, the city council there would not they wouldn't really listen to the other side as they were making their case and mm-hmm. you know it's just they they're basically in the pocket of these health officials and they want to get money because they're getting money from some of these you know groups and they don't want to disappoint them so they're going to go along with it and i just that's to me what some of this comes down to is yes i believe that you know there's there's definitely there's definitely a sense it's it's sensible in my book to take some precautions but some of this stuff like what we were just discussing is just more about power and and just control absolutely and it, it's well, not and, really and, about saving people's lives it's lining up their pockets absolutely well and and, and to tie this back to what we were previously talking about um i know the the, the tennessee titans they've had a slew of of, of players and staff end up uh basically coming down positive with COVID-19. Um, and again, with the NFL, it's been a rigorous testing. There's been, you know, so many, you know, mandates about, you know, like, you know, being, making sure that you are, you know, not in constant contact with people and everything like that. And there's there's talks now of potentially postponing the Titans season because of just how many players and apparently they've also infected other teams. I think there were like a couple of Kansas city chiefs players that ended up, uh, coming, like ended up coming down positive with COVID-19 after, uh, after the game between the both of them. I, I believe, I think, I think it was Kansas city and Tennessee. I'm not a hundred percent positive on that, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of discussion in the NFL, uh, community right now about whether or not, they should just postpone Tennessee's schedule for the rest of the year. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, the governor of South Dakota, Christy Nome, who's quickly becoming a rising star in, in the Republican party, especially she's taken a very non draconian measured approach to how South Dakota approaches the COVID-19 stuff. Like, they they encourage people to take precautions, but they have not done a lockdown. They have not f- in, in instituted any mandates and so forth. And you know we've started to see numbers climb in in North Dakota and South Dakota. But she did I think she did a press conference the other day, and she was basically saying, "Look, if you look at the data, you'll notice that the you know places like New York." California places that are high population areas get it you know they got the numbers increased pretty quickly and Mm -hmm. you're now starting to see it happen that way with the Midwest and she was saying that part of the reason of that is 
depending on where you live in the Midwest, we don't congregate as much as as you would in, say, the West or East Coast mm-hmm. in some of these high-population places. So she was making the argument that, yes, it's eventually going to come throughout everywhere. I mean, it, it's just inevitable. But if whether you do severe government control measures or you do the opposite approach – it, it's still gonna it, the numbers eventually even out it's about the same so it, it i just thought it was kind of an interesting argument and i think that's kind of where i stand as far as what beating the virus versus destroying the economy like i don't think locking down the country is the way to go but i do understand taking some precautionary measures and you know just using common sense i i think people should do that not just with covid but with any kind of virus or whatever going around but mm-hmm. you know I, I certainly don't think it's good for businesses and others to have to be forced to 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 shut themselves down because you know the the government officials whether it be local or state or even federal said saying that you can't do a b and c even though you're trying to be you're trying to be sensible about things so yeah, and, and, and the thing that I think people have to take in consideration, too, especially with, like, places like New York, for instance, is that it's basically cubicles on top of cubicles of people, like, just in a highly dense area. And, of course, as we know, the rate of transmission is the highest in your place of living. So, when you have all all these people in such a close confine, uh, a, a confined space, and... They're basically on lockdown the entire duration of well from from March till now essentially. Uh, I they might have let up a little bit in New York, but not a tremendous not a tremendous amount by any means. But yeah, when you have when you have so many people confined into their these you know these tiny these you know these you know consolidated spaces. I mean the rate of that tra- the you know the transmission rate. Uh, within those, you know, apartment buildings and and things of that nature are going to skyrocket exponentially because the transmission rate is so much higher as opposed to just going out in public about your day-to-day life, uh, oddly enough. And I think the issue with having this whole mandate of like, oh, should we continue to locked down even further it's like if we if we compare that to places like sweden sweden hasn't initiated a lockdown at least to my knowledge um i think i think it's either sweden or switzerland i'm not i can't be pretty sure it's it's sweden i think you're right um but yeah they haven't they haven't initiated a lockdown ever they just said hey here's all the information here's the data you know you do with that what you will and make sure that you know you're you're just being safe that 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 is again kind of like the South Dakota model that you know you're you're uh, you're pointing out right now, and so it's clear that when people are given the proper information and the freedom to choose how they want to go about, you know, the 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 precautions they themselves want to take when it pertains to their own health, their own safety, and so forth, the the results are going to be much better because the government isn't mandated mandating certain things um, 
to you know to the absolute law mm-hmm. yeah no i i agree and i know we didn't we didn't really get a chance to talk about this last episode because, I mean, we first of all, we pre-record these podcasts, and so mm-hmm. right after we recorded it, this news broke, and it was pretty big. I, I, I took, the, mm-hmm. took the liberty of mentioning it prior to the episode starting, but the president, this was kind of a scare at first. I was, I was kind of concerned about this when the news broke, but last, I think it was Friday, Friday or Saturday, um, Donald Trump uh, was diagnosed with COVID, and you know we we learned that he was starting to get mild symptoms. He got a fever, but it was rather short lived. But he was getting tired and 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 things like that. And it wasn't severe, but it you know with him being the president, the I think it was the Secret Service combined with his personal physician decided it would be a good idea to move him to Walter Reed Hospital, which is where they ended up taking him on Saturday. And, you know, he, so far, he's he's come out pretty strong on the other side. He seems to be doing well. He released a video, I think it was on Saturday, just kind of giving an update on how he was doing. And he, he did a video prior to when he left for Walter Reed, just letting people know about it. And then he did another video afterwards. And then he did one when he came back to the White House on Monday because I guess he had been doing well enough and his, his physicians decided that he was well enough to return to the Oval Office while still having people there to, to take care of him and make sure that you know he's, he's doing well. So that all transpired, and I don't know if you saw the the press conferences with the physicians, pers- his personal physician alongside some of the other ones at Walter Reed, but they were getting attacked because the I think the first one that they did on Saturday, I think, Saturday or Sunday, they were answering questions, and the physician was saying, look, President's doing really well. He had a fever, but he's broken that. He's he's improving rapidly. And then he was asked about um, whether or not the president was on oxygen at all. And he was kind of dancing around a little bit. He said he's not been on oxygen today. And so that, that prompted the media to ask, well, has he been on oxygen at all? And he'd said, no, not since yesterday or today. And it kind of made it to where they were wondering if he if he was if they were hiding stuff from them and come to find out i think it was sunday or monday i think it was sunday and they'd said that basically trump had been on he'd been on oxygen he had like two liters of oxygen given to him but his his levels were at like 94 which you know my wife she she knows a little bit about this because she used to work in the as a nurse, you know, typically you don't give someone oxygen if their levels are above 90. You only start to do that if their levels are, you know, 89 or lower. So he didn't really need oxygen, but, and he, he had no trouble breathing or anything like that, but they decided to do it anyway, just out of an abundance of caution. And I just thought the whole thing was a little ridiculous. The, you know, the, the media, 
in my view, are just out to make Trump look like he's on his deathbed, and it's just kind of silly. And so, anyway, after all that, he before he came back to the White House, he decided to take a ride in his uh, in his motorcade, and he had the Secret Service with him. I guess they were all uh, they had like goggles and ppe on and everything like that but he he had supporters out in front of walter reed so he rode around in his uh in his limo or whatever just to to greet them from inside there and the media lost their minds over it and and everything and then and then on on monday he made the move to come back to the white house and so he he gets back and he walks out I, i think it was on the on the balcony of the white house he gets there or on the platform or something anyway he was far away from everyone and he walks up there he has his mask on then when he gets to the top and it's just him he takes it off to wave and yeah. greet people and the media just lost yeah, their ever loving minds <laughs> oh, oh man they were clutching their pearls <laughs> oh, there's he's he's loose in the white house with covid how could he do this it's so irresponsible he's it's like to get people you killed. do realize you do realize that he like lives there right like, where else is he going to go? Mm-hmm. Like, also, yeah. Like, he's also hundreds of feet away from people. Why does he need to wear, and he's outside, why does he need to wear a mask? Like, that makes no sense. The, the pearl clutchers, man. It's like, it doesn't even take really much of anything. It's like, oh, he's, he's loose. He's burning around the White House with COVID. He's a madman. It's like... <laughs> It's like uh, where, like he lives at the White House. Where else is he gonna go? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and they tried to they tried to blame the whole because you know there were a few others that tested positive. The vice president, his wife tested negative. Several others did as well, but I believe his press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, she tested positive. His speechwriter tested positive. A couple senators tested positive, but there were also a number of them that didn't. And the media was trying to blame the whole thing on the Amy Coney Barrett nomination, like when when Trump went out in in front of the White House on the White House lawn to announce his pick for Supreme Court justice. They started labeling that the quote super spreader event and trying to make the case that nobody was wearing masks even though if you look at the picture there were some that were and you know it's just they've got to they've got to cling to some sort of narrative and it's it's just silly and you know i i don't know how this is going to play out as far as the election goes but i just i just think it's silly to be that you know that anal about this kind of stuff and i don't know (laughs) i just don't even know what to say it's just the same old story just a different day you know so anyway i guess leading up to our discussion about the debate the vice presidential debate so this isn't really about the vice presidential debate this is about the debate next week that's supposed to happen i think it happens on the 15th so a week from Thursday, which Thursday is when we're co- recording this podcast right now. So I guess the the debate commissioners decided to make it to where they, they wanted the next debate to be a virtual debate. So they didn't want Trump and Biden to be in the same place. They didn't want anyone else to be in the same place. They wanted to be having a debate remotely. And, you know, like... <laughs> 
you know, I, I'm not sure what, what you want to make of that, what you think about that, but Trump went on Fox News the following morning and said that he's not interested. He said that he doesn't want to do a virtual debate and he thinks it's the whole thing is dumb. And what was his specific his specific reasoning? I know I, I'm pretty sure he mentioned at one point that, you know, either he or his supporters mentioned that they wouldn't put it past Biden to, you know, have prepared notes and such where you would normally not have that in a debate, um, which, you know, I, I can understand that. But he also he, I think his main reason for not wanting to do that was because it would give the either the moderator or the commissioners more power to mute either him or primarily him probably is what he's, what he's thinking, but either him or Biden as they're talking, or if the other person is supposed to be talking, they'll just mute the other person and he doesn't want to be a part of something like that. So we'll see if it actually plays through, but well, I mean, they've, they've always, they've always had the ability to mute people's mics. I mean, like, well, in that, in that debate, in the first debate between Biden and Trump, um, I, I think a good number of times they cut off uh, Trump's mic while he was uh, speaking. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd heard about that. And, you know, because originally Biden was saying that he didn't want to do a debate if if Trump was still, you know, positive with COVID, which, I mean, obviously that's reasonable but i highly doubt that his physicians would let him go to a debate if he still had covid anyway but you know he he's so far you he's just not... have him be in like a in one of those like bubble suits <laughs> like a hazmat <laughs> suit or something yeah so i mean so far he's tested negative he seems to be getting over it so who knows who knows what will happen here but it, it it's just interesting but anyway um, yeah, this is this is kind of me putting on my tinfoil hat, and uh, I, I enjoy putting on my tinfoil hat because you um, do that a fair just... amount sometimes. I've <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I like the tinfoil hat. All right, it, it looks but, good uh, on you, man. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I just I find it really convenient. I just find it really convenient that literally right after the first presidential debate, Trump all of a sudden has COVID. And mm-hmm. then whenever he's, you know, despite all of these other tests that have come out, you know, showing that Trump is, you know, negative with COVID, you know, he's, you know, he's obviously multiple physicians and, you know, medical experts have confirmed that he's recovering and it has been doing better. Despite all of that, despite all of that, the Democrats aren't willing to listen to any of them. They They're all about listening to the medical experts. They're all about listening to the scientists. Mm-hmm. And when they claim that Trump is doing better and that, you know, they've given him tests and that he's negative and that he's, you know, physically fit to do another debate. Oh, they, they, they change tunes. They, they say, nope, 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 nope. We don't want to risk it. We're, we're not going to have Biden, you know, uh, debate, even with a virtual debate too. That, that's what's even crazier to me. And so it's like, it, it just shows that, and it doesn't entirely surprise me that, uh, that they're overall like, hesitant or you know basically just uh dismissive of the idea of another debate because i mean after that first debate you know after that first debate it there wasn't a whole lot of difference they did like a poll after after debate and seeing where biden's base stood after that debate and 
there really wasn't much change on either side. So it's not like these debates are really going to yield any form of like radical difference. Mm. But it just, mm-hmm. I find it, I find it convenient that after that debate, after that first debate, Trump all of a sudden has COVID. And then they start trying to, once they realize Trump has COVID, they start, you know, fumbling and start, you know, trying to do everything in their power to change the rules of the nature of the debate itself. And it's just, I don't oh know, it, it seems a little too convenient for me. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't put it past them, you know. It's just, it's it's hard to know. And, you know, especially you know, with these moderators. These moderators have all been... They've been awful. Yeah, well, not just awful, but they've all been in the tank for the Democrat candidate. Yep. And and so it's not just well we'll get one person here who's more moderate and we'll get one person here who's you know it's it's all been one way so it does make you wonder what else have they got have they got in mind so yeah I I, I enjoy your tinfoil hat moment Spencer because it, it 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 keeps <laughs> it keeps things fresh it really does <laughs> that's certainly one way of putting it yes yes indeed. All right. Well, I guess we should jump into it here. The vice presidential debate, which happened previously this week between Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris. And, you know, I I will say leading into this debate, I wasn't sure what to expect. I I wasn't as looking forward to it as the Trump Biden one, primarily because I wanted to see the fireworks. And boy, did we get them last week from from the presidential debate. But at the same time, the more I thought about it, you know, this debate actually was pretty important if you think about it, because for one for one thing, we've talked before how we don't see how Biden is going to last a full term if he gets elected. So really what we should be talking about is Kamala Harris. What is she going to do? Because there's a very good chance. I mean, for, for one thing, isn't I think Biden is 78 so if he were to yeah, he's if he was to serve a whole term, he would be around eighty two years old by the end of his first term. And if he got reelected, he'd if he be eighty. It, if he yeah, he'd be eighty six by the end of his second term. So I mean, that that is just unheard of. I I know that we've had you know obviously Trump isn't a spring chicken himself, but he certainly projects more energy and and such than Biden does. But yeah, I mean, even, even with him having COVID. Oh he yeah, is, he, he seems way more lively than Biden does. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> He's continuously tested negative. So yeah, yeah I mean, th- I think this debate was was important to watch. And before we really get into it, I, I have to say I'm I'm kind of impressed with how many people watched it. This debate has turned out so far to be the second most watched debate, uh, VP debate in history. It got around. Let me see if I can find the numbers here. This is from Deadline. Uh, the numbers that I'm seeing right now, it was around 54 million, I believe. 54 million. Wow. 54 million views. Or 59 million. Sorry, 59 million. This is from Nielsen. Uh, and the I think the, the most watched VP debate was the one in 2008 between Joe Biden and Sarah Palin. And that got 70 million viewers. So this one was watched by a lot of people, which is actually kind of encouraging, especially from my end, it's encouraging because I think Mike Pence did a phenomenal job and I think he did better than 
than Trepp did in terms of projecting a sense of of professionalism and really knowing what he was talking about. Oh, and 1,000%. So, so let, let's just kind of dive into it. I don't, I don't know how you, how you want to really get going with it, but I guess we could just start with what are our what are what were our thoughts on how the debate um, in general went? What were your thoughts, Spencer? I ultimately, and this is coming. So, I guess I should give some insight or a little bit of clarification. So, by no means am I a typical like am I a Trump supporter of any means. I'm not like, uh, I mean, I'm obviously going to vote for third party this upcoming election. You know, I, <gasps> oh my so, gosh, you're going to throw your vote away. Oh, I know, right? Evil, evil throwing person. Throwing it away. But <laughs> despite all of that, I can, I can, after watching this debate, Pence won this debate by a mile, 1000%. And I mean, there were so many moments where Kamala could have actually addressed certain fi- certain policies, actually could have addressed questions on the, the, the head of the nail, and she just choked. She just, she kept bobbing and weaving around, you know, clear-cut, simple yes or no questions. Um, I, I mean, time and time again, she, she never answered about whether she was going to... Sp- the pack, whether she was going to pack the Supreme Court, she never addressed her prosecution record. She never addressed, you know, the fact that Biden has basically claimed that he doesn't support the Green New Deal. Yet on his website, it you know clearly states that it, quote the Green New Deal is a crucial framework for his for Biden's energy plan. It's like there are so many things substantive wise like she never i legitimately and and i'm and i'm being honest here i don't think she ever gave a legitimate straight answer for anything no i don't think so either and i was actually kind of impressed that the moderator brought that up because one of the questions was joe Mm. biden said in the last debate that he doesn't support it yet his own website says quote and then she read what it said and she really couldn't really couldn't answer that you know and it was just it was ridiculous because it sometimes sometimes i wonder what people are thinking when they choose candidates because i don't i don't know why joe biden thought kamala harris would be a great pick because for one thing she's a senator from california joe biden's going to win california typically when a when a candidate for president picks a vp pick not all the time but sometimes when they do that, they try to be strategic with it, not just someone they agree with, but someone that's going to help them carry a part of a state or something like that that they need to win. So I don't really know what Kamala Harris brings to the table. Her Not to mention her prosecution record in California is piss poor. I mean, oh, yeah. you could not have picked a worse possible VP candidate, not to mention that he picked her during the height of a a civil rights protest movement or well quote unquote civil rights protest movement you know depending on who you ask but he picked he picked her during the height of these you know protests of these you know riots and i'm like you it's like you could not have done you could literally could not have taken any more action any any more effort to undermine your entire campaign 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and what's kind of hilarious is Kamala Harris, she's, by my accounts, although I've, I've seen some debate on this, but I don't know what's true and what's not, but let's just let's just say you know she's african american her support among african americans is lower than joe biden's which is astounding to me and a big part of that oh i wonder why yeah a big part of that is because when she was you know a prosecutor and attorney general in california she put away record numbers of african americans for nonviolent drug crimes and mm-hmm. i mean she she was pretty Abysmal. With Which Pence brought that up in the uh, debate, by the way. I, I thought Which, that was a, a huge jab from him. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, my my thoughts overall in the debate, I, I agree with you. I think Pence, you know, I think he destroyed Kamala, and I was a little nervous leading into it because I, I I didn't know if he was gonna play too nice with her, and he did a little bit towards the beginning, and I was like, oh no, this is gonna be too much of kissing up, and well. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, and I, I respect you. You're a, a phenomenal person, and thank you. But for he being- needed to do that, though. He needed to do that because there was so much criticism and flack for mm-hmm. how often Trump interrupted that he he needed to be the contrast for that. Right. Uh, and that was crucial. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I know mm-hmm. some people were irritated by that. I personally didn't, didn't mind it. I actually, you know, even if you disagree with someone— even if they're, in your view, a terrible person, I still kind of like that. And maybe it's just because of 2020 and because of the last debate. But when he did that, I was like, okay, that's, you know, that's that's fine. I didn't mind him doing that. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with saying that kind of stuff. But, you know, he, he really did, after, after he said all those things, I mean, he didn't let her get away with anything. And, you know, they, they started off talking about COVID and, you know, Kamala was saying how... You know, 210 some thousand people are dead and it's all Trump's fault and he doesn't know he has no plan, blah, blah, blah. And and then when it went to Mike Pence, he said, well, look, we, you know, at the outset, Trump banned travel, I think, to and from China. Joe Biden opposed that, said it was racist and xenophobic. He did several things that the, you know, the Democrats opposed and apparently these things really helped to slow the spread of what could have been an even bigger disaster if he hadn't done that. And Trump had mentioned this in the, in the previous debate, though I think Pence did a a little better job of articulating that. And even, even some Democrat governors, I remember when, when this thing was really hitting the States back in March and early April, when he was working with governor Andrew Cuomo of, of New York and he was working with Gavin Newsom of, of California and they were singing his praises at first because he was talking to them and he was trying to give them the equipment that they needed. So even, even people on the left were, were praising him for that. Now they're not doing that now, but they were initially. So, you know, I I just think on several of these topics, whether it was the economy, which I think Pence really destroyed her on, whether it was foreign policy Pence just he never missed a beat and to me it's not just because I'm conservative and I oppose Kamala Harris but just trying to analyze this as a as a debate in general 
she just stuck to her talking points that she always reverts back to. If you watch the the base that she was in in the Democrat primary, she kept playing the race card. She kept playing the sexism card. She did that before. She did it this yep. week. And it was just so annoying and, and tiresome. And at one point, this is probably my favorite moment of the debate. Um, the moderator asked about... Well, no, it wasn't the moderator. It was it was Pence. The moderator didn't, didn't even bring this up. He he asked Kamala, you know, if you win, if you and Biden win, are you going to pack the court? You know, Biden wouldn't answer the question. Will you answer it now? And she wouldn't answer the question. She went to Abraham, some bizarre story about yeah. Abraham Lincoln <laughs> yeah. and picking a Supreme Court justice. And yeah. like, okay, well, it's not 1864 anymore. Um, and then... He asked her again, and she started with, I'm talking, I'm talking, which was annoying. Uh, but she never answered the question. Then she brought up race again. She was like, well, you know, you want to talk about nominating Supreme Court or nominating judges. You know, you've you've not nominated any African-Americans. And I'm like, well, what does yeah, that have she was to like, do? You want to, yeah, she was like, you want to talk about packing the courts. None of the nominees that you've put in have been white or have been black. And yeah. like, what the <laughs> What the hell does that have to do with anything? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then my favorite part was she when they moved on to it, or were getting ready to move on to a different topic, Pence interjected and said, I just want the record to be shown here that Kamala has not answered the question. And she didn't say anything, and they just went, all right, next topic. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, Oh, my God, there was so much topic hopping, too. Oh, it, I know. It was unbearable. It was, it was unbearable to watch. It was. Like, it was. Yeah. I thought the dumbest question of the night was the the question that she asked the the moderator. She asked about you know have have each of you spoken to um the, either the president or Joe Biden to become president about you know because of their age and and their health have you either of you spoken to them about a contingency plan should one of them you know not be able to to keep serving as president I'm like. What what is the point of this question? We already have a contingency plan. Yeah. It's in the freaking Constitution. Why do they? Yeah, uh, what was the point of that? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I just said when she asked that, I was like, "Have you ever taken a civics course in your life, lady?" Like, <laughs> freaking hell. Yeah. Oh. And like, and, and the and the really crazy contrast, and it was like the last question of the bait, and. Basically, I guess this, you know, this this eighth grader uh, from some junior high had written question about how, you know, basically, despite these radical differences in ideology and 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 uh, and you know party party position uh, or political affiliation, you know, how are you know if if leaders are at such you know extreme odds with one another, how is the rest of the populace supposed to be able to? You know, be able to contribute and, and function um, as a society. And Pence gave this really well thought out, this really articulate answer about how, like, you know, how you know Ruth Gader Ginsburg and um, Anthony Scalia, uh, basically how they were so radically different, uh, you know, ideologically and, and politically. But yet, despite all of that, they were still you know really close friends. And it's like. And he's talking about how, like, you know, you know, and he's talking about, like, you know, regardless of how he did the debate gets, you know, it is just that it is a debate and we could come together as Americans. And it was like it just it was really well crafted and well spoken. 
And then Kamala Harris just spouts some garbage about, like, you know, just more divisiveness. And, like, it just, I was just like, the stark contrast. Like, again, it's like the Democrats are purposefully trying to lose. It is like they are purposefully trying to tank this election. And, like, and part of me is just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I guess I can't necessarily complain because it's just, it's like, how though. Yeah, and I've wondered too because you know I, I've thought about this and I've heard some I've heard some points brought up from from other commentators on this and it's that you know if because there have been some polls that have come out that have said you know Biden winning by thirteen to fifteen points and I, I just have a really hard time believing that but at the same time it's it's kind of hard to know exactly what's going to happen until mm-hmm. until the election so we'll just see how it goes but. If you're not looking at the polls and you're just looking at, you know, the, the state of the economy, how it's starting to come back again, the jobs numbers are slowly getting back. To, it, I think they're actually back to where they were before mm-hmm. before Trump took office, like right before he took office. So it is it's, it's improving. And, you know, you're seeing how, you know, how, how Pence is articulating these things and you're seeing how the left is siding with rioters and you're seeing the crazies come out more on, on the left, especially if you, if you don't look at the polls and you just kind of look at the state of where things are, you'd think that Trump is doing a pretty good job and that he's got a good shot to win. So I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but it does make me wonder if, you know, cause, cause I've heard too that, with some of these polls, you know, people don't really necessarily want to tell, you know, these pollsters in, in the media who they're actually going to vote for. Sometimes they'll mm-hmm. just deliberately go in and say that yeah. they're going to vote for the opposite person. But when it's just you and the voting booth and that's all there is, you know, it, it, it makes you wonder if if things aren't going to go exactly the way people think. And, you know, we'll see what happens, but I don't know. I just find it kind of interesting just to just to kind of see what all is going to play. And I'm curious to see how it's going to play out as far as narratives go. Is it is the narrative true that people have bought into the panic porn of the COVID stuff and the lockdowns? We need to shut everything down as what Biden is saying or are they starting to see that we've got to open things back up again? Yes, we need to be safe and we need to, you know, be sensible, but we don't need to shut everything down again. And that's really, in my view, what this election comes down to as far as the two candidates go. And I I will say the one thing that Kamala Harris said that I do agree with at the start of the debate is there is a clear contrast between the two candidates as as far as agendas go. So... Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I just found it interesting. Yeah, I think I think people just put entirely too much merit, too much weight in polls because again, you know, the polls aren't the actual you know ballots. They aren't the you know it's not it's not indicative of like because again back in twenty sixteen I think they had Hillary Clinton projected to win by like a huge landslide. Oh yeah, and you know Trump, you know he won twenty sixteen. So it's like. I don't know. I think people put entirely too much weight in um, polls, but I think the biggest thing, I think the most crucial thing with this upcoming election is Texas. I think, I think there is a strong possibility that Texas could turn blue this year. And if Texas turns blue, 
If, well, think about it. I mean, um, Ted Cruz almost lost his re-election campaign. Um, I think, was it like last year or the year before? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, in a historically, has been a, Texas has predominantly been a red state, and he almost lost his, you know, Senate re-election. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that is crazy to me. And yeah. if if it was so, if, it, if the numbers were so needle thin back then... I mean, surely all of the people that have been, you know, leaving California and, and moving to Texas in that amount of time, I, I think that would play a heavy heavy factor, surely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's definitive. You know, there is, I would say it is slightly, there is slightly a more, there's a, a, a little bit more of a lean for, it, for Texas to stay red. But I don't know. I think, you know, especially, especially if... Um, Especially if Trump doesn't do as um, good of a job campaigning in Texas, I could very well see Texas going blue. And if Texas goes blue, the Republicans and really any other respective future uh, political party can kiss their chances of electing any non-Democrat candidate into into the Oval Office goodbye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean... Uh, we may have even touched on this last episode or episode before that, mm-hmm. but it, I mean, I, I do agree. It's certainly a possibility. And I, I was concerned when I saw it because, because Cruz's approval rating in Texas was like in the eighties leading it mm-hmm. before, before his election came up. And, you know, I, I don't know how much truth there is to this. I'd heard that, you know, part of the problem was people were still pissed off at, at Cruz for not endorsing Trump at the convention and they want to, they wanted to send him a message. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but maybe because I mean, people were pretty pissed off at the Trump supporters were back in 2016 when he, I mean, he did eventually endorse Trump, but he, you know, he waited a while to do it. So I don't know, but at the same time, I mean, Beto O'Rourke, who was running against him, I mean, he was he was getting a lot of traction, and he <laughs> he he was thought to be the next equivalent to a you know a JFK as far as likability and charisma and everything, and and then he just did so awful during the during the primaries for president. But I mean, it, it's it's certainly a thing that could happen because, like you like you said, there there's people that are moving from California to Texas that are, it, it, which is so bizarre because they're they're tired of, you know the, the draconian policies in California, yet they're moving the, they're moving to Texas and they're essentially voting for some of the same policies that they escaped from. So. It'll be interesting to see if it doesn't go blue this election cycle. I could see it going there within the next ten years or so, probably. But it, it is yeah. it, it's something to watch. And yeah, I mean, if it goes blue, I mean, screw you know, we're, we're pretty much screwed as far as third parties and and the Republican Party goes. Um, speaking so of, I, before before we move on, this is just a quick little thing. So I have the actual numbers. So O'Rourke, who was who was running for um, the the position. He was 220,000 votes short of 8.3 million of unseating crews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. It, it was Texas. close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, you would just think, you would think that Cruz would have won that by a landslide because, I mean, he he's not establishment as far as he's not wishy-washy uh, you know on on a lot of these a lot of these issues so you would think 
that he would have won that pretty easily, but man, especially because he was basically an incumbent senator, you know, running for re-election. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how that'll turn mm-hmm. out. <laughs> Who knows if if Cruz will be able to win a third term if he decides to run again? And I think I think it'd be in twenty twenty four would be his his next election. So I we'll, believe so. Yes. We'll see what happens with that, but. You know, I I don't know. I don't. I doubt you've seen this because this was just on Twitter. But I I had happened to happened to see this. You mentioned third parties. It made me think of this. So for those of you who may not remember, Ken, you remember Ken Bone from the twenty twelve? Is it twenty? No, twenty sixteen. Yes, Ken Bone. Yes, Ken Bone. The I red, do remember Ken Bone. The red sweater guy with the uh-huh. with the glasses yeah. and the balding head. Mm-hmm. He he had become he'd become a sensation because he looked like a he looked like a cartoon character come to life with with his outfit and everything. And he asked a question. I think it was at the second debate between Trump and Hillary. And he he took he took the media by storm just just for what he asked. Well, he ended up voting. I think he ended up voting for Hillary. In 2016, well, he he's had a following on Twitter for a while, and he just put out a tweet, I think it was a couple of days ago, that he had been considering on who he was going to vote for this election cycle. And you might find that's interesting, Spencer. He's He, he said that he's going to vote for uh, Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian candidate. Interesting, okay. Yeah, and he said that he doesn't like either candidate from the major parties. And he a lot of the stuff he said was similar to somewhat similar to what you had mentioned and he got trashed on on Twitter oh, yeah. primarily by the left who were who were saying that he was you know destroying he he, he was just ruining Biden's chances to win he was throwing his vote away for Trump all, all the all the kind of stuff that you typically hear and it was f- primarily from the left he even put out a tweet saying even Trump supporters were being kind to him and 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 saying, you know, it's totally fine for you to vote that way if that's what you want to mm-hmm. if that's who you want to vote for. But primarily those on the left were saying you're an effing moron, you know, Absolutely. go screw yourself. <laughs> you just want to appear you're you're irrelevant, someone that's trying to gain relevance again. Yep. And all mm-hmm. all the same stuff and I just thought it was fascinating to see to see all that. And you know, even though I'm going to vote for Trump, I do appreciate people that, that vote for third party, and I hope, especially after this election, that we do have a replacement for the Republican Party because I don't like the GOP. I mean, I I support Trump, but I don't support the Republican Party. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just think it's fascinating because— And that's understandable. Yeah, because we were in the same position last election cycle. I brought this up last episode of voting third party. So I, I would like to see a third party rise, but you know, I I just found it fascinating. I thought you would enjoy that story. Yeah, I mean that that, that has just become the culture, and and this is the thing. I have tried numerous times to have conversations on the left about you know the nature of the two party political system and how you know fundamentally flawed it is because it only perpetuates to the stigma of creating more corruption, more malfeasance, negligence. You know, it it only continues that trend. And I, I've had that conversation so many times. And, and the one takeaway that I always get from people who are on the left is that, you know, oh, you know, you're, <laughs> you know, you're just, 
you're just running, you know, you're just stoking the flames. You're you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. You're you know an alt right racist. You know you know any name under the sun you can think of. And when I talk to people on the right, it's like, oh, well, you know, like we, we you know, like it's like I, I definitely understand your position on it. You know, it's like I have had more rational conversations with Trump supporters than I have ever had, I, with the occasional exception, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have talked to, you know, but this is the problem. This is the problem. The left, the, the Democrats have moved to such an extreme position, to such an extreme ideology, that if you are just a classic liberal like myself, you're you're deemed like this crazy Nazi racist. <laughs> you're, you're, it's like because if you're just slightly to the right of them, you are the alt right. You are crazy. You are you know you've bought into the propaganda, and that's like. It, it is literally the analogy of the horseshoe, you know? It it, it really is. Mm-hmm. It's just gotten so crazy. Yeah, it really has. And it, it'll be interesting to see how this, how this translates. Because I am curious to see how, the, how well the third party does this election cycle, but I'm also mm-hmm. interested to see what happens, you know, after Trump's gone and if the GOP decides to just elect another wishy-washy, you know career politician to mm-hmm. to win the white house again you know there's a reason why people supported trump when they would normally not want to support a just a standard politician is because he was an outsider as as far as you know washington dc goes and i think people are just tired of of those career politicians on both sides so it'll be interesting to see after if if whether or not Trump wins after he's out of office, and it's inevitably inevitably starts to go back to quote unquote normal, what's going to happen if if the third party is going to gain even more traction? So, mm, absolutely, yeah. So we've and, talked and one. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it's like uh, it, oddly enough, I I've kind of viewed Trump's presidency somewhat similarly to JFK's presidency. Not in terms of policy or like, you know, uh, political affiliation or anything like that, but in terms of just, because in many respects, you know, JFK was very much an outsider when it pertained to, you know, uh, when it pertains to the way he governed the country and the way he ran his cabinet and, and so forth. And not only that, but, you know, a lot of the country, especially like big pharma and big oil, hated JFK. Um, now, I mean, J- don't get me wrong, JFK was wildly corrupt. I mean, I'm not uh, claiming he was, you know, you know, not, nothing, you know, I'm not claiming he was this patron saint. But, you know, if, if we compare certain aspects of JFK's presidency to Trump's presidency, you see a lot of that same... Um, you know, vitriol from the other side of the political aisle, it's very eerily similar. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is because Trump is shaking the system. He is disrupting the status quo of what has typically been going on on Capitol Hill for, you know, you know, decades. 
So, yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. So, it, it's uh, it's certainly an interesting thing how how things seem to parallel each other over time. But yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about COVID and the debate so far. I, I wanted to I wanted to hand it over to you. There there was a story that you wanted to talk about that had that pertained to cuties. We've we've talked about this several times over the Ooh, course yeah. of we've just been doing it. I think we've done this podcast for just over a month now. We've mentioned it a couple times, and there was a, I guess an update that you've that you've seen that you wanted to delve into. Yeah. So um, funnily enough, since we were we were talking about Ted Cruz earlier. Um, Ted Cruz and the state of Texas have indicted Netflix, um, and basically they're launching a whole investigation on uh, because of, of their film Cuties, and uh, you know, and I finally I'm so glad that somebody is taking the initiative to make Netflix take accountability, and, and the studio and the parents who force these kids to do all of these actions. I'm glad that someone is finally holding these people accountable because Netflix has become so globalized to the point where they are not, you know, they can act with just sheer impunity because they're not confined or, you know, relegated to U.S. law. They can hide behind, you know, in this case, French law because, you know, the film and everything that was depicted in that film is legal in France, you know, (laughs) funnily enough. And so I'm glad that despite all of that, that the U.S. still has the power, the means, the ability to cut through all of that bullshit and actually launch an invest an investigation on this. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen a little bit of that too. And what was it? Netflix they they responded to that indictment or that yeah that indictment and. They just repeated the same stuff that they have over and over again. That yeah. you know, this film is is you know a uh, modern art, and it's it's meant it's not meant to endorse you know taking advantage of children and sexual exploitation and and so forth. But I mean, it's just it's just the same old tired argument. But uh, yeah, it, it's I'm very curious to see how this is going to play out. <laughs> Yeah, and again, that whole argument of like, oh, it's just artistic expression. It's a critique on the nature of sexualizing children for profit. It's like, okay, that's all well and good, but the people who made this film are guilty of the very thing they themselves are painting to be such a morally reprehensible thing to do. I mean, it's just, it's absurd that people don't recognize this. And oftentimes the people who are, oddly enough, who support cuties... They typically point to, well, Dance Moms was just as bad, and no, and no one uh, made a fuss about that show. I'm like, well, first off, uh, people absolutely did make a fuss about that show, and there were numerous attempts to take that show off the air. But it, that all happened well before internet culture was, like, basically a thing, that cancel culture was a thing. And two, why are you trying to deviate, why are you trying to deflect focus away from the actual root problem of <laughs> like uh, of the fact that this film sexualizes children it, it seems very odd to me that you're trying to defect you know deflect focus on the actual topic at hand and the the only reason you would even do that is because you are in favor of pushing this narrative into the cultural norm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy too because it, you think about it in this in this age of of Me Too and all the stuff yeah. that's come out against the dirtbags like Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. and and others. Why would you Why would you want to do something like this? That's going to get you into massive trouble with with your audience. I mean, the the answer is obvious because you know they like the money. But still, I mean, it, it's just I don't I don't I don't see how this is going to play well with them in the future. But maybe it will. People unfortunately have a short memory, and you know they like to move on to other things eventually. So who knows? Maybe people will start to resubscribe back to Netflix. I, I hope not, but. Until they until they really resolve this thing, it's it's just kind of despicable to see. So, all right, um, there was let's let's move on to this before we call it a day here on on the show. I also wanted to talk about this too, as as related to sports. So, you know, I'm I, I've I've come a long ways, I would say, in sports as far as watching it more and more. I didn't really used to care as much, but I've you know, gotten itched. I've always enjoyed watching the NBA for for a while now. I just haven't, I just haven't watched it as much. But I will say this: this whole thing with LeBron James and the SJW messages that the NBA has been putting on, especially in the wake of the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and and the the quote unquote fight for social justice and racial justice and all these different things. Well, it's it's really come back to bite the NBA and their ratings. I just saw a story from Yahoo Sports, and the NBA finals are on right or have been happening um, right now, and their ratings have been abysmal. I mean, just record level lows. And I guess the the latest one that I've seen, Game Three between the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. Which, first of all, you would think, you know, it's a game between. The Lakers and the Miami Heat, two very marketable teams, very popular teams. Plus, you also have the factor of LeBron James playing against his former team. You would think just that alone would make it a very much-watched um, program. And that, too, add to that, that LeBron James is a very, very good ball player. But people are just so turned off by all the lectures and all the the mean spiritedness and the hypocrisy on LeBron James the virtue signaling. Yeah. And the hypocrisy as, as it relates to China and how they've tried to please them. Well, it, it has come back to bite them. Like I said, in the ratings that they fell to a record low in game three between the heats, between the, between the Miami heat and the Lakers game three brought in about 5.94 million views, which is a pretty low, um, viewership for for that kind of game and it was it's the lowest rated nba finals game on record according to sports media watch and prior to game three the record for the least viewed finals games came during game two and before that the (laughs) record belonged to game one so it's just gotten worse and worse with each game and this is from uh, SMW Sports Media Watch across the three NBA Finals games thus far, and th- so this is saying that it's not just with the NBA, but it's also with other sporting events. It's saying <laughs> across the three NBA Finals games, the six Stanley Cup Final games, four rounds of golf, U.S. Open, 
Horse Racing's Kentucky Derby, and Preakness and Motorsports Indy 500, each of which was postponed from May to June um, to August, September, and October, have all declined double digits, and 10 of the 16 total telecasts have sunk by at least 50%. And, it, it, I mean, you could argue that there's other reasons why the, these numbers have declined, but as far as the NBA goes, it's it's pretty clear, especially when... You consider that the uh, I don't know if it was a commissioner or it was some it was some leader in the NBA saying that for next season they're dropping all Black Lives Matter social justice messages from their oh, jersey really? and yeah they're dropping it they don't want anything they they don't want that on on the court and stuff and it's it's pretty obvious because LeBron James is hurting the NBA as is the others that are that are joining in and all this stuff and. They don't want anything to do with it now, so it, it's it's quite interesting to watch. Yeah, who would imagine that people don't like being told how much of a vehement piece of shit that they are from a celebrity who <laughs> well, knows I mean, nothing about what they're talking about? It's one way to look at it. Who, yeah. who would who would think? You know, it's like it's just I don't know. It's I mean, again, the NBA and you know, the Players Association, they brought that upon themselves. And, you know, again, respect to LeBron and the fact that he's probably one of the more elite players in the NBA. When he is at the forefront, basically stoking the flames of all this divisiveness and, you know, SJW propaganda stuff, it's like, of course people are going to tune out because, you know, they just want to tune in to basketball or in this case, you know, or in other cases like, you know, the NFL or NASCAR or whatever. They just want the product. They don't, you know, you're, you are more than entitled to have your political opinion and, and your, your voice on your platform. But that is, that is the root. That is the main focal. That is the, you know, the main point of the, the, the entire premise, I guess, more or less. Is that it is he should be voicing all of that on his platform, not the NBA's. You know, and, and that is again, like for so just just to compare it anecdotally, I work or, or I did work, um I'm currently furloughed right now, but you know, I've worked for, you know, multiple, you know, uh music pavilions, you know, live uh venue uh, live music venues. And if I was ever in a position where I was out in the middle of public, right? Uh, you know, I, I had to, you know, be in the spotlight for whatever reason, whatever my position may be, you know, and I decided arbitrarily that I was just going to be flaunting like, you know, I don't know, just, just some random, you know, political lifestyle or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if I, if I decided to just start having all these politically branded clothing on at all times that was <laughs> in conflict with the company's you know policies and and their position on things i would absolutely be at the very least be given a warning or fired or something you know what i mean there mm-hmm. there are absolutely there are absolutely consequences for you know using my own agenda my own platform and thwarting the company's platform and agenda 
for my own benefit. And that is what is happening in these, you know, professional sports, you know, circles. It's just, it's gotten crazy out of control. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I'll echo some of what you said, too. I mean, I, I have no problem with LeBron James having his point of view. He's certainly, I mean, he's just so mu- as much of an American as anyone else. So he has mm-hmm. he has the right to have his viewpoint. But it's it's kind of like, you know, I, I kind of like this analogy as it relates to, to broadcasting. You know, if you market yourself as a as a sports talk show or name name your favorite kind of podcast you like to listen to or, or kind of, you know, whether it's sports, whether it's politics or entertainment, and you market yourself one way, but then you constantly talk about something that's completely unrelated to it. If you're going to the to a certain podcast to hear about a certain topic or a certain type of topic, but they keep talking about everything other than that, eventually, yeah. and maybe not even eventually, maybe right off the bat, you're just not going to listen to it. You know, and I mean, that's just yeah. a standard thing. I don't I don't go to sports to hear about politics. I don't go to politics to hear about sports all the time, although there are podcasts that yeah. mix that in and that's totally fine. But you got to know your audience you know, like us. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the thing. Like we market ourselves as a podcast that talks about multiple different kinds of things. So if you're into mm-hmm. that, if you like different kinds of variety, that's what we do here, but we don't we don't stick to just politics or just sports or just TV mm-hmm. and entertainment. We we try to mix it up. So if you're the NBA, you're trying and and your your base of viewers are primarily those that are more center right leaning or something or just not into the whole SJW stuff. You're gonna tune out. So. It, it just that's just what it comes down to and that again you just have to, if you want to have an opinion and you want to voice it you have to know the smartest way to do that if mm-hmm. you want to keep people tuned into you and lebron james he's done a lot of good for charity he's done you know he's done a lot of good humanitarian work and he's certainly mm-hmm. to be commended for that but just as far as this goes it's not a shock to see these ratings you know plummet and we'll see We'll see if the NFL goes the same route or, you know, what, what these other, what these other organizations will do. But I don't know. I just think it's simple math as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, and, and and the crazy thing is, is like uh, people act like, oh, well, you know, he, he's a public figure, you know, he should, you know, he, he has a, he's has an innate responsibility to talk about these things. And it's like, yes, absolutely. Again, he can talk about these things, but not on the NBA's platform, not on the NBA's time, especially, you know what I mean? It's like, he can certainly do all of these things on his own time, on his own platform. And funnily enough, uh, we've, uh, you know, in the, in the sports community, more or less, you're starting to see more and more players create their own podcasts and their own, you know, you know, YouTube channels and stuff like that, which again, I'm all for I'm I'm perfectly fine with them doing that, you know, on their front. But again, it's the nature of the beast, right? You know, when you have, uh, you know, when you're beholden to a company, when you're beholden to a job, there are certain things, there are certain responsibilities, certain tasks that are expected of you. And, you know, regardless of how much fame and notoriety that 
LeBron James has accumulated over the years, both through the NBA and outside of the NBA, the fact of the matter is, he still is very much beholden to the policies, to the, you know, the, the regulations and stuff that are set in place by the league, and he should not be, you know, exempt from any of those. Yeah, agreed, for sure. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. We thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We went a little bit longer than we usually do, but there's just been a lot to talk about, and we didn't want to. <laughs> we, we really didn't want to just brush through any anything that was important and things that we didn't mm-hmm. quite get to last episode. But again, we thank you so much for listening to us. We'll catch you back here next week. Make sure you again listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and all these other places you can find us and spread the word. Give us a rating and review on whatever um, podcast platform you're listening to us on and we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care, everyone. See you guys.